get to Cobb. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I'm Harold James Preller, joined happily this time by the Chomner. Oh, every time, come on, it's the Chamner. Do I, do I have the to say this every time we have our podcast? But My that's God. the bit. That's is it. it the bit? That's not 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 your best work, I'll say. But hey, hey, so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. You know, as usual, Marver uh, was like vaguely committal and then completely ghosted us. Um, but you know what? Well, like you we said, followed along on our on our uh, like pri- private group chat. Uh, uh-huh. Over the last forty eight hours, we've gone through the process of uh, being ready to podcast on the night everything happened, uh, and then we get. Uh, silence ghosted and then we get a message that says uh i just injected marijuana i don't know if it's gonna happen right uh then we have what yesterday was basically just a full day of ghosting yeah yeah or, or, i think he said at uh, one point like yeah i'm down and then and then nothing else and then no he said then oh yeah like let's do it today in the morning and then we start talking in the afternoon he's like oh wait let's like do 8 30 after he puts his son to bed and then we hear nothing, of course. And then nothing. And then nothing today. So uh, so here we are, making well, do. You know what? <laughs> it's, it's the best we can do. And uh, I'm happy to be here. You're happy to be here. You know, I, I don't know how much, you know, does Marvel really bring in the big bucks to this podcast? I doubt it. But doubt it. I mean, we are going to lose out on a lot of discussion about how masks aren't effective in controlling the virus. <laughs> um Yes, I'm very glad we get to avoid all of that. Um, yeah. You know, there no one ever said there are benefits to. Uh, wait, I confused myself. Anyways, we're happy to not have Marver. We're we're very excited to talk about, of course, the big trades the Padres have made. I mean, I so I haven't been on the podcast since we last talked in January. You know, pre-COVID, pre like I mean, the 2020 season was just like just so crazy in so many ways. Uh, we had the Clevenger trades. We had obviously COVID, uh, we had the playoffs. Uh, and, and so there's so much, I think, that we could talk about. I mean, we haven't even had a Padres podcast, I think, post-playoffs or like, you know, like during the playoffs. So there's been a lot going on. Uh, and probably unsurprisingly, we're going to talk about the big trades that happened. Uh, we also talked about how we could try to differentiate ourselves from the other, uh, how do you, we say, uh, know the other podcasts and and i think we can definitively say this is the gilded age of padres podcast now uh this week is after a a long 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 uh sabbatical for most of the podcast yeah not the best work neither of us have listened to the other podcasts so you know this is our our true takes you know we're not being influenced by the great thinkers over at you know the 5.5 or anything uh but yeah aishay i mean Snell and Darvish, pretty remarkable. Uh, in the span of 24 hours, we got both of them. Uh, I mean, what's, I mean, there's what's a wide reaction? range. There's there's a wide range of remarkable things here, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the players themselves are are great. I mean, they're Cy Young finalists or winners like over the past few years. Um, Darvish was arguably the the best pitcher in the National League last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Snell like pitched his team to the World Series. Yeah, there's like a lot of things I like there, but the thing that's the most surprising to me is is where our our payroll is at. Like the the willingness of of the team to take on payroll, because all, all we'd ever asked for was league average payroll, and we're 
we're currently blowing way past that mm-hmm. right now. And basically everything that we've ever asked for is it has happened right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Padres are the talk of the league. You, you flip on uh, MLB central or whatever the, the TV channel is. I don't have cable, of course, not a boomer. Uh, you know, the, the, they're talking about the Padres. You go on, on Reddit and Twitter and everyone's talking about the Padres. You know, we already had a taste of this before when we signed Machado, you know, when, you know, during the season when we had, you know, the slam Diego Padres, but it, I mean, the, well, it's not and, stopping. And, and 2015, like it's oh, happened oh. before. Uh, and, and to some degree, I think that we put a, a little too much weight on whether ESPN talks about us. Like to me, that's, that's a totally, totally meaningless objective. Right. I mean, they've talked about us before and it, it didn't help us. Like, I, I think that, the only thing I care about, and I think there's generally been a theme of this podcast, is we're not looking for competitiveness. We're not looking for meaningful games in September. We're looking for winning a World Series and bringing a championship to San Diego. And in my opinion, this is the closest we've ever been. I, I mean, I guess we could compare and contrast in 1998, whether that team was closer, but to me, this team feels like it is built to go not just to possibly win the division or make the playoffs, but to carry this team through a, a pretty you know grueling playoff that they could have in 2021. Yeah. And, you know, the difference, I mean, obviously there's a lot of differences between now and 2015, but, you know, when it's a good point, we should not be so obsessed with what the media says about the team in the San Diego, but that's also just kind of the, uh, you know, the, the cuck nature of the San Diego media market where we get really excited about that. But, you know, we're, we're everyone's talking now about though, the Padres of being one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NL, uh, if not the entire league, depending on what else happens the rest of the off season. Uh, well, and, I, and I do want to have a, a caveat there that, like the Padres have signed the first of the top 10 free agents in, in um, Kim, right? Mm-hmm. The other nine haven't been signed. And so a lot of the discussions that are going on right now are forgetting that, that a lot of our competitors could look very different by the time spring training starts. So it's a little early to, you know, anoint ourselves the champions, but as we're sitting now, it's looking pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I there's no way I don't think any other team is going to beat what Preller, what Preller's done so far to be fair, you know, even if the Dodgers want to make a big splash, it's still not going to be on the level of getting to, you know, near Cy Young level pitchers uh, on, you know, for control for the next three years. You know, the rotation is looking just like actually incredible. Um, If you asked us, you know, in 2017, uh, would like that, or if you told us in 2017 that we would get Machado, Snell, Darvish, Clevenger, I mean, we, I don't think any of us would believe it, even Preller being who he is. Uh, it's, I mean, it's well, amazing. To be fair, to be fair, in, uh, in 2017, when did we sign Hosmer? 2018? Uh, t- yes. Yeah. I mean, we could have just cut out the middleman and signed Darvish instead of <laughs> Hosmer. In fact, we actually had a podcast with Dan Simborski where, uh, he went through the projections and said that the smart move would have been to sign Darvish because, Darvish, even though he was coming off kind of a mediocre playoff in season, uh, in his opinion, still had the potential to put up Cy Young level performances in the future. Whereas in his opinion, Eric Hosmer was 
never going to approach an MVP level all-star type season again. So to be fair, we could have just signed Darvish. And it's too bad, again, Marva isn't here so we could roast him once again for all his Hosmer takes. Uh, and yeah, of course, that's true. Um, you know, Preller is certainly not infallible, but yeah. Well, why don't we get into the actual trades? Um, so quickly breaking down, uh, let's ta- start with Darvish. So obviously we're getting you, Darvish, and Victor Carantini, who's, you know, is a 28 to 27 catcher under control for the next three years, too, I think, along with, along with Darvish. Uh, what do we give up? Zach Davies, pretty known quantity, one-year contract. He's getting paid about $8 million uh, in 2021. Reggie Preciado, who is the best prospect by far given to the to the Cubs. I think it was uh, Eric Longenhagen who said a couple of days ago that he would put him or he's going to put him in the top 100 prospects on fan graphs and give him a 50 future value. Uh, Owen Casey, who was the recent second round draft pick in the 2020 draft, uh, you know, seemed to have really good bat to ball skills. Scouts seem to like him. Uh, he's only 18 as well. So pretty young. And then uh, a couple really like no names, Ismael Mena and Yeson Santana. Uh, and overall, Padres is going to be play, paying $60 million, around $60 million uh, over the next three years for Darvish. Uh, and guarantees money is like basically a wash. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty hard not to like this trade. Uh, I don't think we're going to have any hot takes saying it's, it's a bad trade. I mean, it was universally panned. Uh, Cubs fans were <laughs> it was quite humorous. They're just, I mean, it's a complete meltdown. Uh, and you know, rightfully so, they have one of the richest owners in one of the biggest media markets, and they're acting like the Indians. Um, I mean, we're getting you, Darvish. Who, sure, he's like 34 years old, uh, but you know, he's still throwing but, but really at, hard. He's still a really quality pitcher. Yeah, and go ahead. And at age 34, he was uh, throwing his hardest velocity of his career, right? Was he? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Average average fastball velocity of 95.5. I mean, that's like around what Paddock is throwing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, and, you know, for what everyone says about him, he's an incredible athlete. You know, he has like five pitches he can go to, and that's not even counting like any of the weird, like, you know, random ones, like a, an Ephus or whatever he might toss in there. Um, and it seems pretty universal that everyone thinks that he's going to be the best starting pitcher, that he's better than Snell um, and like, She's probably the favorite right now to be the opening day star. Not that it means anything. So, so HJ, hard not Let me to ask love you this. this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, so Zach Davies was a, I guess, a miniature hero, I guess, of the 2020 season, like the mm-hmm. little engine that could. Um, are you going to miss him at all? Yeah. I mean, I he, think, I think Zach Davies he, was here, good. Here's my thing with, with Zach Davies. I think he was fine, but towards the end of that, season and let's be clear it's not a real season it's like a third of a season mm-hmm. um he, he really started getting hit a lot harder um including in the playoffs where he was mm-hmm. just crushed really um so do, do you think he was as good as what we saw over the first let's say month and a half of that season or do you think that kind of the pumpkin you know he was kind of turning back into a pumpkin which which to be fair a lot of the stats in 2020 are difficult to project off of because we've seen it as Padres fans where players are hot for a month or two, especially the first month or two of the season, the league catches up to them. Video gets out, analytics get out on them and, and they have difficulty adjusting. 
do, do you kind of see that with Zach Davies or do you think that he was that first month and a half was, was the real Zach Davies? No, I, and, I don't. And think that, that we were able real. to capitalize because I do think we were kind of able to capitalize on that hot, hot season, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, that's not who Zach Davies is. I mean, he, I, I actually liked um, his acquisition. Like if we kind of just consider him a swap for Eric Lauer, I think that was pretty good. Uh, I mean, Lauer is just like miserable to watch. I mean, um, Lauer is a smoke and mirrors guy also yeah. in a way. I mean, but, but, but Davies is more than that for sure. And he, he has a pretty consistent track record. I mean, he's like a, a solid four or five, um, you know, it, with, with what he gave in 2020, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, he pitched about 70 innings. Uh, if he did, you know, double that, it would have been his, the best, like if he doubled his innings at the same like pace, he would have been worth three war over, you know, 140 innings, which would have been the best year of his career by far. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that's not who Zach Davies was, but I think he, he's, he's a good pitcher. Uh, there obviously is like a lot of risk with him just because he needs his command. Uh, if he can't pinpoint like his fastball, then I mean, just, he doesn't have like the best stuff, not even close to the best stuff. Um, but he's fine. I mean, I think he's fine for what he was. He was certainly an upgrade over Lauer. He was probably our most dependable starter besides Lamette last year. Um, and frankly, I think he would have been a good fit for the Padres in 2021, just given the fact how, you know, there's still uncertainty about Lamette. Uh, I guess we can talk about Lamette too. I'll put that in our little notes. Um, but, you know, I, I'm certainly not counting on Lamette to come and give any meaningful innings in 2021. So the Padres probably need a, a, you know, a veteran back end a backstop for a year. And I think Davies would be pretty good with that. Um, but I mean, but that's if, also, that's also a really fungible type of. Exactly. Role. And especially now with like, I mean, the free agent market, uh, I mean, the, the, like the Zach Davies type, uh, you know, of like the middling, you know, slightly above average to average MLB players. Uh, I think, I mean, we already know about the death of the middle class in the MLB. I think those kind of players are pretty readily available, if not in free agency, then on the trade market too. We've, we're seeing how, you know, how well it probably is able to get things on the trade market. But to go back to what we're saying, no, I think Davies is, is good. I mean, he's been pretty good his entire career. Um, as long as he can, you know, not get injured and, and, you know, keep having decent command, he'll be fine. But as like the singular MLB piece going back for you, Darvish, it's, I mean, you, you do that every single day. Uh, yeah, you know he doesn't have much upside. I think I think like Davies has like saw, a relatively high floor. Yeah, we we got the upside. I mean that's like the best we in the first you know fifty innings of twenty twenty. That's the best Davies will ever be, um, and he probably won't hit that again. So uh, arguably we're selling high on him, um, but yeah, I'm I, I'm not missing. I don't him even at think all. it's I don't even think it's arguably. I mean we're definitively <laughs> selling high on him. Mm-hmm. I mean. Um, as far as the other four prospects, just to make this my underlying opinion, uh, I don't care about our prospects anymore. I'm my prospect phase is over. Um, I, I think this team is beyond needing to worry about prospect hugging and needs and it is properly starting to focus on building a championship caliber major league team. But these four names specifically, um, really don't bother me mm-hmm. regardless of Longenhagen's um, slurping of, of Preciado. <laughs> these guys are at, at the earliest, like three years away. Yep. Um, and I think it's important 
and I think Marvin and I have said this before, but it, it's important to not get hung up on being petrified by what prospects could become in the future. Um, if you feel that those prospects can help you today and that helping today is enough to make this team a championship caliber team, then I, I don't care if he becomes the next Barry Bonds someday, as long as we have successfully built a championship team here in the near term. Yeah. And for me, this isn't like adding Joe Randa where, okay, you added Randa and maybe you've escalated, you've elevated the team from winning one game in the first round to two games. Like that's really like the best case scenario of adding a player like him, who we of course traded Corey Kluber for. Um, or no, no, am I, do I have that right? No, that's the Ludwig trade, right? The Ludwig trade, um, like best case again, was like, it wasn't going to make us a champion that year. But adding a U Darvish can make us a championship caliber team and has. So mm-hmm. I, for me, like the quality of the prospect really is not important to me. But I, I think you have a lot better handle on our prospects currently. Do, do you worry about any losing any of these four guys or, or are you fine with it? No, I mean, I'm more than fine with it. I think, <laughs> I mean, Reggie Preciado, he's, he's 17, but although he's still like the best prospect given up. You know, he's like really liked because he has a great body. He's like six, five, like one eighty. Um, he's a switch hitter. Uh, sure. Like it's great. I mean, the odds of him, like it's great. I forget who it is. I think it's a, uh, I think it's Simborski who like publishes kind of like the, the, like the, the distribution of like outcomes for like prospects at different stages of their career. And for someone at Preciado's age of 17, he hasn't played a pro game in the U.S., I think. Um, the odds of him putting up more than, like, five war in his entire major league career is, like, less than 10% right now. So, I mean, you take the weighted average of his, you know, future production and then discount it for the four-plus years it'll take to get there. It's worth basically nothing, especially when you consider, you know, if you try to kind of count up the the – the net present value of the championships the Padres are likely to win the future. This trade obviously boosts it big time. Um, and well, you know, all of these guys are uber replaceable. I mean, I mean the, the Preciado, uh, we're going to talk about like replenishing the farm later. Um, Preciado was signed when the Padres were still, you know, like not able to blow their international budget like they did in 2016. You know, he was just like, Sure, he was like a big name, 1.3 million is a big size, a big chunk of like their entire pool. But these are guys you can get every single year, and Preller will get every single year. So I think they're all eminently replaceable. Um, and it's 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 great overall. I do want to mention too, I think it's pretty funny um that when like the details of this trade got out, you know, with especially the the name like Preciado, Owen Casey, uh, and, and particularly even with like the the lower tier names. Ismael Mena and Yesam Santana. Uh, it was Farm who was saying on Twitter that, oof, like this is a pretty hefty price to pay for you, Darvish. And I think Farm was basically the only person on the planet who thinks that the Padres might have given up too big a package uh, for you, Darvish. But uh, you know what? I think we can seriously say it's a mega win. I'd say yes, mega win. You know, one thing that you were talking about with the that Simborski has kind of graphed out the the distribution of, of results from players. I mean, we can look at our own 
team. I mean, we can look Mm -hmm. at those 2016 international signings at what that has produced at the major league level. And especially if you take out guys that weren't like normal 16 year old signees like Baez, who was, you know, a 21 year old Cuban Onya, who was like 20 uh, Morahone was 18. Like you take out the Cubans and there really hasn't been much of anything out of that entire class besides Patino who at the major league level wasn't, you know, I, we'll talk about Patino more, but yeah. he's obviously like a great prospect, but it hasn't produced at the major league level. This is now uh, four, four years, four plus years after these players have been signed. And we're not seeing any results at the major league level out of those, you know, 16 year old signees. So mm-hmm. that kind of shows you the the time frame that you're looking at to hopefully have something out of those players and what we traded away are years and years away. I mean, I, I said three years, that could be, that could be generous, you know, like I mean, three really years like for like, for, it's usually for like best four prospects. to five years for them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they have to be on a Tatis path to make it up in three years, which right. I mean, they're not. So uh, to me, yeah, like you said, this is a mega win for the Padres. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, totally totally ignoring like you darvish is an amazing personality and like a great mm-hmm. player for us to root for which great marketing is, opportunity is, for the incoming cmo by the way of course you did you apply oh oh yes you know uh me with my uh yet to c- be completed undergraduate uh career well you know uh, the project showed with their last cmo that a college degree is not necessary for the position <laughs> you know i did actually apply to an internship in the padres front office uh for last summer and uh got rejected How'd pretty that? quick uh you, you didn't even get an interview no not not an interview uh and <laughs> you know what <laughs> my resume was definitely better than most people that applied for that so uh, I, I think it's safe to say I have a file in the Padres HQ. I mean, you, sir, I mean, just being, uh, you know, somewhat near you in, in Marver, I think uh, automatically puts me in the, the danger zone, might you call it. But uh, you know what, my, my future career in a, in a front office in baseball is the dream isn't over yet. Let's just say that. Oh, ooh, is that a, is that a tease? Uh, uh, I can't, uh, I'm not going to say anymore. You know, I'll let you guys speculate on that. Wow. Wow. That's a breaking news from the Gwintelligence podcast here. Hey, only, only here on the Gwintelligence <laughs> podcast will you hear that. But yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think uh, to, to wrap up Darvish, I mean, obviously it, it's great. He's, he's an ace. Uh, we needed pitching like that. Uh, we gave up barely anything. And I think the story really is Seidler willing to pony up the cash for an extra 20 ish million dollars a year in payroll. Um, while, you know, these, the big market teams like Chicago are, you know, acting like they have no money to spare at all. Um, It's only, I I saw this tweet um, by, I think some athletic writer that it, it, this really is a perfect storm of Preller being super aggressive, Preller having built up the Padres farm, uh, you know, COVID and pandemic era economics for baseball teams, whatever that, you know, whatever phony crying poor the owners want to do, they're doing it. Um, and the fact that Seidler is willing to step up and and actually spend to get a winner. Only with all of those things together do we get something like you Darvish for as cheap as we did. Um, and you know right. we're gonna. It's, well, we'll talk about advantageous time. I mean, it's advantageous timing. I mean, we, we just talked about the 2016 international class. It was kind of the same there. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't just that that the team decided to to redivert major league spending into international spending for that. 
it was that all of the normal big players in the international market were barred from competing in that year. So the Padres essentially had a monopoly on the market for for high priced international players. Like the the timing that AJ Preller has used both there to convince ownership to spend and then also in 2020, like the timing is just as much of a success as as the devotion of resources into those actions right i mean when when you're not competing against anyone it it lowers the price it makes new things available like to me that's really what is impressive about the padres strategy here Mm -hmm. i mean i it we've seen time and time again that you know the padres front office is you know really quite clever uh they they know how to maximize the use of their resources um and it, I mean, this is just uh, another feather in, in Preller's cap of like some really good trades. Uh, you know, yeah, I remember, and, I remember a couple uh, of years ago, the big talk of Preller. I mean, and it's still arguably true. I mean, obviously, we haven't had great success at the major league level, but we know Preller's a good scout. You know, we know he can acquire amateur and, and minor league talent, but can he build a major league team? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if this doesn't work, if like, you know, Darvish and Snell both go down with injuries, I, I, I don't think we can really fault Preller too much for that. Although him trading for injured players is another thing. Um, but, you know, Preller's really, I mean, we, we know it's not all talk now, right? What we've been told so long from ownership and, and, you know, the front office that, you know, they're looking to actually try to compete, not just, you know, settle for a year of playoffs or, you know, wild card contention. Um, I mean, this really is the plan, and, and we're seeing it being executed in real time. Well, and that was my fear all along, has been that the team would successfully become on the fringes of the playoffs or in the playoffs of the, around the wild card. for, and, and the goal would be to sustain that level of performance for many years at, at whatever cost that is, which is generally lower than a World Series champion. And this has totally shattered those fears i mean Mm -hmm. this is going well above wanting to be consistently competitive which to me is a much lower bar than building a championship team and and the actions over the last week i think are are well beyond what i had thought they were shooting for Mm -hmm. and we'll Um, get into a little more when we kind of compare and contrast the former chairman and the current majority owner so I think that has something to do with it, possibly. But, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about Blake Snell. Here. Yeah, let's. So a uh, quick recap of the trade. Of course, we got Blake Snell. He's under contract for about $10 million a year uh, under through 2023. Uh, the big name we gave up is Luis Patino. Um, uh, but we also gave up, of course, catcher Francisco Mejia. Uh, first, or actually, sorry, third round draft pick in 2020, Cole Wilcox, who, you know, we can talk about this too. Thanks to some really clevering maneuvering of the draft bonus pool, the Padres were able to get in the third round and pay him first round money. Um, and then also catcher Blake Hunt. So I, the, obviously this one stings a bit more. Luis Patino, uh, we've been following him for a long time. He's uber talented. I mean, the kid is, he's only 20 years old, I think still younger than me, which is like big yikes. Uh, he can throw 97, 98. He has a nasty slider. You know, he's an incredible personality, Dominican, which fits really well with the culture of the team. Um, you know, it's pretty clear he's got a bright future, and the Rays are 
I mean, probably the best, the, the team best position to maximize his potential. Uh, and then, you know, Francisco Mejia, we've known for a long time. Uh, I don't think we really give a shit about him at all at this point. Cole I've, said Wilcox, many times, I've said many times, I think he sucks. Uh, and oh, usually the talk is that his defense sucks. I, I actually think he sucks as a hitter. So I, I couldn't care less, you know, about Francisco Mejia. Yeah, you know, it was really fun, the, the days the of uh, the Hedges versus Mejia debate. Do you remember that? Was it? Was that fun? Is, is that uh, fun? Oh, I, I, I had fun. I mean, I think it was, once it got really big, I think it was like, what, like near the end of last year, of, of sorry, end of 2019, uh, when the debate really started to get in, in full swing. Uh, the people that like really got mad, <laughs> I mean, that, that was the entertainment for me. And I, I swapped midway through, if you don't remember. I was originally team hedges uh, and then, you know, hedges just, just got so unbearable. Uh, I had to like hop over to Mejia. Not that it was really any better over there, but uh, you know, at least it was something to talk about, but I mean, the irony is that they both sucked. Like they so both bad. were terrible. So like bad. Mejia, Mejia swang at everything. And I've said it, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but his, his monster home runs have always come on this like down and in. Yeah. Pitch. Incredible golf. Swing. And yeah, he would golf them over the right field fence and it looked really cool and awesome. And we'd be like, Oh, his bat speed. So good. But he swings at everything. And at some point the league just stopped throwing him down and in. And mm-hmm. he, he, he's not good. He's not like, good. He, swi- not- he swings at everything. He's, he's yeah. bad. He is bad. He's bad at fielding. He's bad. As, he's bad at catching like, there's nothing, there's nothing good about it. Hey, hey, like, hey, hey, he can, uh, he has a really good arm. You know, he almost took off Kirby Yates' head that one time. Uh, which is hilarious to me because Christian Bethencourt had a great arm. But oh like nobody God, wanted wow. to, no, no one wanted back. to keep him at catcher. Like <laughs> Christian Bethencourt threw a hundred miles an hour. And Christian no, Bethencourt no one, was no, actually a decently productive hitter for a little bit while Mejia he's was, was currently never. He's currently like one of the best hitters in the Nippon like baseball league. He's, <laughs> He's still catching, at least. Like, good times, uh, good times. I mean, Mejia is Christian Bethencourt, basically, but not as good of a hitter. Mm-hmm. That's where he's at, and mm-hmm. so to cash in on him at all is a just a masterpiece to me. I mean, who knows really how much you know value he added to it? Uh, you know, if 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 the Rays are able to somehow like completely change everything for him. Great, great for them. We really have no need with Nola, with Campusano, and with Carantini. I mean, the Padres catcher core is looking, I mean, better than it ever has. So, I mean, yeah, he, me, he had zero value for the Padres, I think, which is the important way to look at it. Um, so, yeah, who, who cares about that? Um, let's also well, talk I mean, about. Is he, is he even going to play on the Rays that much? I mean, they re signed Zanino, right? Who's already a guy that can't hit, but at least he has fielding chops, right? Framing and stuff. Like, how much time is Mejia even going to get with the Rays? Well, the Rays like supposedly just don't have a catcher right now. Um, and I mean, Mejia is out of options, I believe. So I'm sure, I mean, he's going to be riding the bench at least. And I mean, the, and <laughs> it'll probably also try to be used in like left field or something too, because the Rays do not shy away from that. But yeah, it's, He's not a, I mean, it's a total I mean, reclamation project. That's obvious. To, to like going out of your way to get his bat in the lineup. Like, I don't get it. 
I mean, the the Rays gonna have to do it. <laughs> Not yeah. our problem anymore. Um, why don't we talk about Blake Hunt real quick? Because you know that was a name that you know some of the prospect huggers and writers you know liked decently. He had a, apparently a pretty decent year, um, but you know I think most of them <laughs> he was drafted but, but the same year as Camposano, thirty all, picks all... after uh, in the second round too. And I mean Camposano won that. That that's it, you know. So all, all of the Blake Blake Hunt hype is based off of like intra squad games, though, isn't it? Like or out at the complex against. I like, think the recent hype, yeah, where you know, oh, they're like, oh yeah, he hit some bombs at USD. Yeah, right. Like, well, USD wasn't being scouted, was it? I mean, by other teams and by Longenhagen or whoever prospect writers, like all anything that happened at USD seems like a big secret. Yeah, it is. So, and the Padres didn't even opt into the, the information sharing thing either. Right. Which, you know, this is an aside, why using Weathers in the playoffs was such an interesting weapon. Because to me, it's not, I mean, Weathers looked fine. He looked good. Uh, but to me, like, the interesting thing about Weathers is that there's no video on him. He had an entire year to refine his stuff. There's no, there, no knowledge of his velocity. Like, the Dodgers had nothing. A highly analytical team had nothing on him. And so for me, he was the perfect secret weapon to deploy for like an inning plus, which mm-hmm. they did. And he, USD is just a black hole of what they did over the year. And I, that is another AJ secret weapon in that he has that information and other teams yep. don't and is able to capitalize on that to, to, to build off the hype that the writers and the scouts were able to see before the season or at spring training and, and then capitalize on you know, whatever happened during the year in private. And Blake Hunt's like the the best example of that, where he was able to capitalize off of that hype. And for all we know, Blake Hunt didn't look good at the complex, you know, at USD. Mm -hmm. And, and, and AJ was like, this guy's not going to make the majors. He's a less good Austin Hedges. Like, I think that's really powerful, a really powerful tool that AJ has at his disposal. And definitely. I'd like to continue just saying that Blake Hunt is a less good Austin Hedges, regardless of what happens in the future. That's what I will choose to believe. Yeah. I, I don't think there's, I mean, he has much of a chance to really be a productive big leaguer. Uh, you know, like, like your prediction, he'll probably end up being a backup somewhere. So yeah, not, not a loss at all. Um, you know, I think you're also your point about like the information difference uh, that Preller has is, is definitely big. Um, and we've seen it before. I mean, and, and we know Pre- this is the way like Preller in the front office thinks where, you know, they have their group of guys that they think are championship caliber players. And then they have the ones that aren't. Um, they keep the ones they like, you know, th- people like Patino, who, you know, obviously he has the talent to be on a championship level team. You know, there's also some reasons to not favor him as much as, you know, some of the other pitchers that the Padres have like Morahone or Gore. Um so you know what, Preller keeps the guys he wants, and that's a like a really, really important lens to view any of the names that he gives up in in these trades. So uh, why don't we move on to the to the bigger names though? Uh, let's go to Cole Wilcox again. He was drafted in the third round. Everyone said he was a first round talent. Uh, he came out of college as a junior, I think. Um, and yeah, what college did he go to? See Georgia. Yeah, he was, yeah, that's right, at Georgia. And yeah, you know, he had a really good, really good college career. Not that that means, you know, much. Um, 
and yeah, seems to be like you know a fine pitcher. Yeah, he has some a, upside. He's a, he's a big body, throws hard. But again, we don't really know anything. Like a lot of guys with big bodies that throw hard fail. So mm-hmm. yeah, and we don't know. And, and, and it's a couple years that, away, and there's yeah. a backlog of pitchers already too. So and and we should note that this is a guy that the Padres were able to basically steal out of this year's draft. Um, you know, the, the, they, the Padres got like the big name that they wanted, Robert Hassel. Um, and then they were able to get like underslot deals after that got them like probably the best draft class in 2020 out of all the major league teams. Um, so this is just, I mean, Preller immediately cashing in the chips that he developed through his shrewdness of, of amateur minor league talent acquisition. Uh, I mean, this is not, I mean, Cole Wilcox brought a lot of value to this deal. And this is not a guy we had a few months ago. And this is not a guy that people would have thought the Padres would get after the first two rounds of the 2020 draft. So, I mean, this is, it's just like free money. It's, it's free real estate. And Preller's just, I mean, this is just another scouting coup in a sense from Preller. But what's your take? Um, He's, I think it goes back to let's not get paralyzed by what a guy could become. Uh, Cole Wilcox is what two years off probably from making his debut, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe a little earlier if they really want to rush him, but he's not helping this team win a world series right now. And he's seems to me to be, I like Cole. He was, he was probably my favorite out of the, 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 um, entire draft class for me um but look you you obtained a Cy Young winner that pitched in the World Series like um it's worth it I I, I refuse to be paralyzed by the fear of what a guy like Cole Wilcox will become Mm -hmm. um okay then how about how about the fear of what a guy like Patino will become though I'm I'm not worried I don't think Patino was going to be I don't think he was going to be in the rotation in 2021 do you yeah, probably not. I mean, he walked eight people per nine in his, you know, 17 innings in the majors last year. He probably to me, started he in double A, yeah. To me, he didn't look like he was ready for the big leagues. He threw hard, his slider looked nice, but he had an incredible time trying to control it. And to me, when you're a World Series contender, you don't have guys like Luis Patino on the major league roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that he was a year or two away. And especially when in my head i'm assuming the 2022 season is lost to a strike i'm 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 supremely focusing on the 2021 season and what will get us to a championship because when you look at the other pieces on this team that were already here pieces like manny machado pieces like tatis pieces pieces like uh even like will myers these are players that are in their prime or in Mm -hmm. in some of their best years of their career and that's not going to last forever and yeah you can't waste those years. Exactly. And to me, 2021 is the critical year. And we, we, Marvin and I used to make fun of it when, when Fowler in 2018 or Mike D in like 27, 16 or whatever would be like, you know, we're looking at a window in 2021. It seems so far off, but it's here. Like, this is what they said they were building towards. So let's hold them to it. And, and to their credit, they're they're holding up their end of the bargain and building a championship team for the 2021 season. And that's that that is singularly what I'm concerned with. So to me, Luis Patino is not a piece for the 2021 season. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree that we can't waste these years where, you know, we have Manny guaranteed on the team and, you know, Tatis probably entering just like some of the best baseball playing that the, the game has ever seen. Um, and sure, you can you can worry about, you know, the quote, waste, unquote, that Patino might become over in Tampa Bay. But a much bigger waste would be Tatis, Machado, Myers, you know, uh, Lamette even that, you know, we and have it, right it now. It pains me to say it, but like Hosmer is a big signing, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he's actually past what his, you know, what statistically a first baseman's prime is, but things decline quickly for first baseman also. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of things coming together in 2021. Manny Machado's 28 years old, like 28 to 30 is the prime for, for a player like Manny Machado. And you can't, you can't just burn those seasons. Mm-hmm. No, Blake I mean, Snell it's... helps us. Blake Snell helps us exponentially more than Luis Patino does t- to win a 21, 2021 World Series championship. Yeah, and I mean, even with the other other names given up, it's they, these are like deals you have to do. You know, the Padres aren't going to get a championship, or you know, we can't expect a championship if we went into the season with you know, the, the rotation as it stood before Snell and Darvish that, I mean, it would just be a disaster. It was going to be like, you know, going into the NLDS without Lamette or Clevenger. Uh, it, it just wouldn't happen. These things right. these it's, it's had Zach, to it's, be made. It's, it's Zach Davies, like his opening day starter. It's, it's nothing mm-hmm. super exciting. And adding two, two frontline starters that are healthy right now is key because the Padres do have this, I don't want to call it a backlog, but let's, let's call it depth at, at, at the about to be ready for the major league starting pitching position, right? They've mm-hmm. got Morahone. They've got Gore. If you believe in Weathers, you, they've got Weathers, right? There, there's a line of guys there, but you don't want to count on all three of them producing at the major league level over an entire season. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's better the situation that, that, that the team has set up where maybe you just need one of them to come right. in and, and and you can have an actual competition to see who is most ready for the major leagues right now to carry a, a full starting pitching load. Mm-hmm. And, and to have that choice is a powerful tool for a, a contending team rather than being forced by circumstance into pressing them into service, regardless of whether they're ready or not. Yeah. I mean, and that's what the best teams have, you know, they don't have, you know, the, the, the playoff caliber championship level teams, they're not scraping together their rotation, hoping to make it work. You know, they have legitimately good players, legitimately good pitchers, not playing, you know, not in the rotation because they got beat out by someone that outperformed them. Right. You know, the Dodgers had Tony Gonsolin just sitting in the bullpen, ready to go in a, in a, in a playoff game. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of depth that you need. And luckily the Padres now have it, but adding the two starters was critical to, to, to creating that kind of depth. Yeah. And I mean, I, I said this on Twitter, but the anchor that Snell and Darvish provide to the rotation and to the entire pitching staff, like really can't be understated. You know, now we don't need, like we don't have to pray or rely on Paddock to become closer to what he was his rookie year or, or better. You know, we don't need Gore to come up and just dominate. Uh, we don't need Lamette to be healthy. We only need like two of Lamette, Gore, Paddock, Morahone, Baez to like hit decently. And it's one, it's like the best rotation in baseball. So, well, it, 
Well, and to me, I, I'm I'm pretty much focused on the playoffs also in that let's say Lamette is okay. Let's say his arm hasn't actually exploded. Um, you've got a playoff rotation of those three pitchers. We don't need to worry about Paddock. We don't need to worry mm-hmm. about Gore, any of them, really, uh, unless they play themselves into it, right? Which would be – which means that one, Gore is pitching better than Lamette, Snell, and Darvish, which would be amazing and great mm-hmm. for the team. That gives us all kinds of flexibility in those playoff yeah. series. I mean, imagine also, Paddock that, and Lamette coming out of the bullpen. Like, good God. Lamette. Lamette. Let's, you know, not Paddock. <laughs> Paddock would be – a, Paddock like, might I mean, not make the playoff roster. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Now you're just okay. Now you're just pandering to the Paddock haters, okay? <laughs> um, but you know these are tools that we didn't have last season, and we saw where it left us in the playoffs. Like, yeah, the playoffs are a whole different ball game, and the roster as it as it was constructed was not built for that. I mean, it's this is this is totally different going into 2021 for me as far as what they built to win a world series. So mm-hmm. you want to talk about um, Ha Seong Kim? Yeah. Uh, I mean, probably not that much to say. Uh, what do we already know? What did you, like what, a, what did you think of Simborski's zips projections on him? Well, you know what? I thought uh, they, they're excellent. They are excellent. Um, I mean, he's, he's giving Ha Seong Kim you know, averaging just under four war for the next three to four seasons. That is do you buy, incredible. Do you buy them? I mean, he was projecting I'm, like 20, 20 plus better than home me. run power. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that depends I mean, on the ball probably. I think he sounds great and I'm happy. And I, I think he's better than Cronenworth. Um, I, I do have some fears that Cronenworth kind of regresses some, um, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, with the Kim, addition of Kim, that that becomes okay, right? Had you, had you read utility. that he he didn't have any hits last year that exceeded 105 miles per hour exit velocity? Crone? No, uh, Kim. Oh, I did not see that. I mean, he's five foot nine, one sixty seven. Mm-hmm. To me, the the twenty five ish home run projections were a little a little heady for me because that's. That's more than he even hit in the KBO, except for last year. Yeah. I, I mean, in so, the, the translation of not only just the stats, but of like the game and talent, you know, I don't think we want to count on him producing that much next year. Producing 3.8 war or whatever. I mean, but, if, but he, if, if he hits he that, that's like two war. If he he's, be, it's more than worth it. More than worth it. I mean, he, we're, right. we're paying him $5 million a year for the next four years, I think. Is it's an incredible the bargain. Incredible yeah. bargain. So I mean, there's nothing you, you there's nothing to hate there. I mean, it is only everything to love. Uh, you know, he's a great athlete. You know, he should be. I mean, he should be fine at even short if we need him there. Um, you know, and him and Crone should be able to fill most of the gaps that are left on the roster. You know, maybe we want like an outfield bat. Uh, you know, maybe we want to you know ship Hosmer to the Sun, but you know, I don't think with with Hassan Kim signing. Uh, I don't think we need Profar back, and he probably is going to be cheaper than Profar too, uh, and and better, and and better, and more versatile, and doesn't have the yips. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's you there's know, not the, too much to only, say. I think it's great. The only comparison point that I think is fair, I think, is is looking at the KBO stats and players that have come over, and 
like Jung Ho Kong was a kind of similar player. His stats in the KBO were over his career were pretty similar. He had a bigger year before he came to the major leagues, but Kong was able to produce like almost four war his rookie year. He, he did drop to like 2.1 his next year, but that was with limited, more limited playing time. Like I, I think that conservatively, like a two, two and a half war player could, that's not nothing. That's, that's, that's great. Um, and then allows flexibility of using Cronenworth as a super utility player, which I think adds value to a, a World Series caliber team as well. So to me, this is this for that amount of money can can only be looked at as a win. I mean, he was a one of the top 10 free agents available by a lot of measures. So to, to get it for what they got him for, like that's. A, a masterpiece, I think. Yeah, another masterpiece. I mean, and and that's, I mean, and that's just really talking about his floor. Like, if he if he does hit Simborski's projections, or you know, there's, it's probably even a little more upside beyond that too. Well, like his floor's a lot lower. I mean, his floor's a lot lower than two two and a half war. Like, I mean, his floor's probably could, like could, one war and like being a bench bat. His floor is like zero. I mean, there have been players <laughs> that have come over from Japan and Korea that have totally flamed out an inability to handle the higher velocity, better stuff of the major leagues. But still, I mean, and for the investment we put into him, right. It's like nothing. Um, right. It, and, it's, a, it's a chance and, worth taking. And if he, and yeah. And like the upside there for the value is just tremendous. Like, I mean, if, if he uh, actually hits that four a, or more, a... then that's like the best infield in baseball right there. Well, and, and they don't have to count on it. I mean, they mm-hmm. have Cronenworth in the bag as a backup. So if the the uh, Kim experience doesn't happen, you know, if it if it doesn't pan out like we're hoping for, like like Zip shows, they just plug Cronenworth in, like, yeah. and we're fine. We write it off, you know. Yeah. So, so I mean, let's let's wrap wait, up like with me- all the deals then, or what? Where are you going ahead? Go ahead. It's a mega win. Yeah, it's it, it is. It's like it. I mean, this is, I think, like, the, the greatest triumph of Preller's tenure so far. I mean, besides, like, the incredible luck that was Tatis hitting. Um, like, you know, th- th- this is just a straight-up coup of, you know, the Cubs and Rays, where they were able to, where Preller, Preller and co. and Seidler were able to identify competitive advantages in the market and just hammer in on them. So, yes. yeah, A+. plus. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. This is exactly the deals that needed to be made for the Padres to actually become a championship caliber team. And they did it. And we are now it's great. It's amazing. And and the league let it happen because it's not just about building your team, like in a vacuum, there's 29 other teams that are also trying to improve and build teams that are going to win the champion. Well, not all 29 of them. Let's say like (laughs) six of them are trying to build a championship (laughs) team, but like, we've also taken Snell and Darvish off the market so that those teams cannot get them. And, and that's, that's a win as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's he, a, that's, I those mean, are two big names. The Dodgers can't get, for example. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's huge. Um, you, you mentioned the owners. Um, yeah. You know, since the last time we podcasted, we've had a change in leadership at the ownership level. Ron Fowler stepped down, sold, some of his shares um, and Peter Seidler is now the uh, unquestioned leader at the ownership level of this organization. Um, do you see that as, as one of the biggest influences in what happened this week as in taking on all of this extra money? Um, 
ignoring the quote unquote losses, which may or may not have happened last year, um, and, and continuing to build off of the payroll we had in 2020 into 2021. Do you think that's a Seidler thing? Yeah, let me let me try to put this uh, candidly. Fuck yes. <laughs> it's I, I don't think it's close at all. Uh, and there's I think there's a lot of reasons we can talk about that. Um, you know, for one, uh, I asked Dennis Lynn in the athletic Q&A today, you know, does Snell and Darvish happen under Fowler? Uh, and uh, if you want to see the question and answer verbatim, you can go to my Twitter account at the Chamner on Twitter. I'm one follow away from 700 followers. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Uh, and I mean, Dennis, I mean, so to be frank, uh, I probably could have worded the question better because there's no chance in hell Dennis was going to say, yeah, like this is not going to happen under Fowler. Fowler's a penny pincher, Scrooge McDuck, uh, Grinch who would not never have allowed Prowler to do this. Even if that's true, Dennis would not have said that. But Dennis said pretty much, I think, as close as he could, you know, staying very political, though. Um, and he said, he said, I don't know. I'm not sure. But, you know, Seidler is certainly more aggressive. Uh, <laughs> I was actually listening to a Darren a while back. And I think this is around the time the transition where Seidler took over from Fowler happened. And Darren, they were talking about the signing of Machado and specifically how Passan broke it the morning of. And then, of course, that was the big hubbub. It was spring training. You know, Fowler got out there looking super pissed off, had to tell the media nothing's confirmed, blah, blah, blah. You know, Seidler walks out with a huge shit-eating grin, shit grin on, you know, over the moon, obviously. You know, Darren was hinting, at least how I took it, Darren was hinting that it was Seidler that leaked it to pass in that morning so Fowler couldn't back out last minute. Now, if that's actually well, and- or not, I'm not sure. But I think what- that's not that far away from being how that, like from, from illuminating how that dynamic worked. I mean, what I've always been told is that Hosmer was Fowler's project and Machado was Seidler's project. So that would make sense. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, and just from that outcome alone, Seidler is much better than Fowler. Um, and, and let's be clear here. Seidler is, Exp, uh, not, is it exp, he's, he is at least magnitudes more wealthy than Ron Fowler, who is not yeah. actually that wealthy. No. Like the majority, he's kind of like the Spanos family in that the majority of his wealth is tied up in his equity in the team. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, Fowler got rich liquid. from, Seidler's very liquid. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Fowler got rich or Fowler built his business on a, you know, government protected industry, alcohol distribution that really has no benefit to anyone anymore. It's just a relic of prohibition and like, you know, puritanism in American law. Um, and also, most of his start, his startup capital was through marriage as well. So, right. like he's- I mean, it doesn't take, it doesn't take, you know, operational or how would you say, uh, you know, managerial expertise to run a decent local beverage distribution system. Uh, on the other hand, Seidler runs Seidler Equity Partners, a private equity firm that owns, of course, like the Padres or, you know, I think uh, it's it's uh, like his firm that owns Seidler's stake in it. Um, they also own like uh, Rawlings, right? Um, and, you know, just they like, own like LA, they own like LA fitness. They they're, they're simultaneously operating these companies that they, that they are heavily invested in. Yeah. Like, 
uh, you're right, they, Rawlings, they, they, pa- yeah. Patty, the 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 scuba diving organization, LA Fitness, Rawlings, like a, a whole host of other companies. He's uh uh-huh. And I mean, so I'm a bit biased on an entire other level yeah. beyond the local San Diego Budweiser d- distributor. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not even close, actually. Like. I mean, so I'll say like, I'm a bit biased given that like I'm going into finance and I'm, you know, I, I had an internship in private equity before I'm, I'm really into it. I think it's sick. Um, but like, you know, the, the kinds of like professionals and like the executives that are assisting that are now going to be, I mean, I don't know how involved Seidler equity partners and their professionals were in running the Padres before, before the transition from Fowler to Seidler. I can only imagine that it's greater now. I would trust Seidler's people a billion times more than Fowler's people. These guys that work for Seidler's firm are, you know, industry, like uh, private equity professionals who oversee, manage, and operate numerous large businesses. They're out there to obviously maximize the return on their investment, but they're there to build a better business. Um, which, you know, which, it, large, which largely relies on finding competitive advantages. Of course. Which... I mean, there, Which, it, it, there's a reason that the private equity industry has exploded in the last 10, 20 years. Uh, you know, you can get a lot of like available capital from really rich people and you can find so many better deals on in the private market than on the stock market. Uh, it's and yeah, it's like the, the, these are the pros like of the business world running the Padres now. And it's everything I would hope for. You know, they have. They have the expertise, they have the operational experience. And of course, then critically, they also have, you know, the connections in the financial industry to raise capital if they need to, you know, it's not going to be an issue if we need a cash call to ownership anymore to sign a new player or to even, you know, sustain this high level, this like relatively high payroll the Padres currently have, because (laughs) there's billions of dollars of equity and you know, available capital out there waiting for Seidler Equity Partners to harness and put into the Padres. This is no longer an issue where the Padres owners don't have enough cash. Uh, that, that's just a relic of the past now. Right. It's, it's beyond mom and pop operation, which is what it was under Ron Fowler. And, and yeah. for, for to be clear, like Ron Fowler seems to be a, a very nice man who's charitable on a local level. Um, and, you know, he's a fun personality and I enjoy hearing him on the radio because he says things that he's not supposed to, but <laughs> that's the, that was the best thing have... that came out of Fowler's tenure is uh, number one, shipping James shield after Tatis. I wholly credit him with that. Uh, and secondly, just like, <laughs> just like the entertainment value, but sorry, please continue. Yeah. I mean, he's a nice man and we're all going to miss his personality, but like we have, professional management now at the ownership level and and it's completely different and i think we're seeing the results of it um one thing i saw on twitter yesterday was uh sackbunt chris who i respect very much uh, brought up the question of like where's the money coming from Mm -hmm. i mean we've been told for so long that the team was running a loss even when we were running like 90 million dollar payrolls like where's the sudden jump coming from i mean do you do, do you have any 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 guesses at it yeah so because 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 i've got theories yeah th- there's a lot of theories um i mean i think your main one is that the padres simply always had this cash available uh, and they just weren't putting in, in, in into the team before and now they're doing that that could certainly be true you know 
not only might that be true just if we're looking at like only the baseball team, but with like, you know, all the ancillary benefits that owning a baseball, like an MLB franchise gives you with like so many other opportunities, so many opportunities to like, frankly, grift and like divert some of your expenses from your like primary asset to other businesses that you own. Um, who knows what the true like profit and cash flow is from, you know, the ownership team or the you know ownership group of the Padres. We, we, there's no way we will actually ever be able to tell that, but I think it's a oh, very hey, good but, chance. But- Oh, wait, they open the books to Kevin AC. Oh, God. And okay, wait, I have two things to say about this. Number one, uh, another reason I think this wouldn't have happened, like the Snell and Darvish chase would have happened under Preller or under under Fowler is because, you know, that whole debt reduction article that happened pre-COVID and pre, you know, pandemic, economic, baseball era, whatever it is. Can you imagine what Fowler would be feeding (laughs) AC now and the kind of shit we would see coming out of the UT? He was. Sent from my iPhone. (laughs) <laughs> Remember about how they lost? They lost. They had a hundred million dollar loss. Like, yeah. uh, AC has no ability to to interpret whether that's is that a hundred million dollars less revenue? Is that uh, is that a net loss? Is that an operating loss? Like, it's it's totally meaningless. But but AC runs with it and yeah. it has just <laughs> um, opening the books. Yeah. And okay, wait. Yeah. Sorry. The the second part of it was that uh. Your account got suspended yesterday <laughs> for like, was it half an hour or something? And I noticed it happened right after you started to tweet about the Padres operating profits. And then those tweets got deleted too. Uh, care, care to care to share what happened there? Oh, I don't know. It was one of those uh, like need to re-verify, but the timing was weird because it was talking about that. But it, 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 you know, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, like right before, right after the uh, debt reduction article. But the Padres have been leading or among the leaders in operating income in Major League Baseball since the Fowler Seidler group took over. I mean, they've run somewhere between 20 and 55 million dollars in operating income every year. They've never lost money, according to Forbes. Um, and it's not fact, even accounting the most, for the appreciation of their equity either. Totally ignoring that. Totally ignoring the sale of, of MLB Advanced Media to Disney. Um, and in my opinion, they're probably not including things like parking revenue into the core mm-hmm. books for the team. Not talking and, about and like Rawlings you, revenue. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, that's all Seidler equity money. That's totally separate. But. Sure. You know, parking revenue at, at the Padres Parkade and at the tailgate park, my guess is being kept separate from within the books from the mm-hmm. normal team's operational books. But the team has been immensely profitable. The entire rebuild has been an immensely profitable enterprise for this team. And, and the whole point of what I wrote on Intelligence was to show that even with the 2016 international spending they still ran way below league average spending. Mm-hmm. And that has led to incredibly high operating incomes for this team. And in fact, the most recent Forbes uh, financial data shows that they made $52 million in 2019. Um, my opinion is that Seidler has just decided not to distribute those profits out to the shareholders and instead decided to actually invest it back into payroll as an investment in the team. And, I'm guessing there is other sources. Um, The team just was awarded like a one and a half billion dollar real estate development on tailgate park, which um, Chad, you work in finance. Like you're able to, especially with interest rates as low as it is able Mm -hmm. to obtain working capital off of things like uh, 
future you, you can securitize future earnings off of things like that's real estate development or mm-hmm. off of the team. They're able to obtain working capital for basically no cost right now. Yep. So they should be. I mean, I'm able to obtain capital for my house to do home improvement at almost no cost right now. So there's no reason a giant corporation, a billion dollar corporation like the Padres couldn't be doing the same. And it appears that they are. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, so that, that was going to be my second possible way that the Padres are financing this if, if it's not you know like the excess profits putting being put back into the team um that you know the, the the Padres could very easily get a like extremely sizable loan be it you know 30 hundred million dollars even a year something like a revolving credit line where you know they can borrow up to 20 to 50 million dollars a year only what they need pay back whenever they want they can get those kind of deals on like terms that you and I can't even comprehend right now. Like, you know, there's uh, not, not to get too deep into finance and economics talk, but the amount of liquidity in the market right now is has just never been, it's just never been before been like this before ever uh, like upwards of 20 to like 30% of all the actual like money in the world has been quote unquote printed in the last like year. Um, you know, these teams can probably get loans, like huge loans, $100 million plus size loans for, you know, interest rates that are like 1%, 2%. You know, they're probably, like, with, with whatever the hell inflation is, you know, they might even be getting it for like a negative real interest rate, which means that they're basically borrowing money and getting paid to do it. You know, the capital is absolutely available for, I mean, this isn't just true for the Podges, of course, true for every, you know, huge business that every single team in the MLB is, you know, there's no excuse for them to be running into cash shortfalls right now. They have some of the most attractive assets that exist in the world, you know, a government sanctioned monopoly on a specific sport that's huge in the world's largest consumer market is a license to print money. Any lender would be falling over each other to lend money to an MLB team with some part of the team secured. Um, and this is without even getting into any kinds of possible insurance arrangements that they have on mm-hmm. on on 2020 or on 2021, which also hedges the risk on on losses. Like the the Padres and and Side Sidler Equity Partners couldn't be in a better position right now to to build capital at a time when that dollar in Major League Baseball can go further than it would under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so it, it seems to me that side, the Seidler leadership has, has found that competitive advantage and is totally capitalizing on it. And at this point, I think we should just sit here and hope that other teams don't follow suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to just touch on the, the last topic of what's left. Um, oh yeah. Do, do you do you believe the roster as it's built is a World Series championship roster, or where do you see improvements that could be made still that are that are let's say feasible? Yeah, I think really only that's that's left is because obviously we 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 would fire Eric Hosmer into the sun, mm-hmm. right, and and find a, a positive value for his baseman. But other than that, something feasible. <laughs> let's let's hear it, Chad. Hey, uh, you know Falcon Nines are getting cheaper every single year, but. You know, I think it's just the bullpen. That's it. So, I mean, as it stands right now, I don't think the bullpen's good enough. Although, frankly, like you, you slot Morahone, Paddock, Baez in there. Um, you know, Jose Castillo's a whatever. I mean, th- th- there's a lot of big names. I mean, there's still Emilio Pagan. There's Drew Pomeranz. 
Um, the bullpen is already really good, but it's just not elite. Well, and, and the, the guys we, we want got it to from be elite. Seattle also. I mean, Austin Adams is oh, yeah. going to come back healthy. Um, uh, the thick guy. Uh, Alta the big Villa? ass. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Big ass Dan. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I think, I think we just need one top end guy. You know, I actually would rather much rather have like a, a Rosenthal back than Kirby Yates. I, I think Kirby's like, you know, see, I he, he's done for, I don't want Rosenthal back. Well, what do I you mean, want? He, he what was, do you want to share? I want uh Brad hand. <laughs> well, Br- Brad Where is Hand's he now? More, more, he's a free agent. He's oh really? He's a, he's ready. He's out there and available. He's much better. I mean, he was better last year than than the other options. And I mean, we got a bad hand with Drew Pomeranz already. Rosenthal was good, um, but I don't believe in him over the long term to continue that. I mean, if you look at his career, he's good and bad and good and bad. And I, I don't think that's I, I want more certainty in it. And, and that's also why I don't like Yates. I mean, if he, Yates wants to come in for major league minimum and kind of earn his way on, then great. But I don't think devoting substantial resources to Yates is a great idea because I think he's highly risky. Um, Brad Hand, I think, is at, is at least less risky here. I'm guessing yeah, you you're know, looking up Brad Hand on fan. fan no, no, you know, I was just about to say it's a uh, you know really really great um, that you know a couple years ago Preller really focused on what's most important for the future of the bullpen uh, and gave. Craig Stammen $4 million this year. You know, there's no way we could have used that $4 million, you know, which paid for a year of a Ha-Sung Kim on uh, some other useful bullpen piece, uh, just to rehash the, our favorite bullpen contract. No, I mean, I think Brad Hand would be fine. I actually don't even know what Brad Hand was elite. Brad Hand was elite last year, you know, in in limited time. I mean, he was with 1.1 war over 22 innings, like over an entire season, you're looking at a three war reliever, which is like a, that's great. That's beyond great. And his time with the Indians was excellent. I mean, mm-hmm. the the two years prior, he averaged like over 13 strikeouts per nine. He's he's been dependably great since 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 2016 when the Padres turned him into a, a, a semi star. And the names that you've given me, I, I I don't think we can count on Rosenthal and Yates, and I'm scared to devote any kind of substantial resources to them. Yeah, you know, I think it does at this point, though, we do. I, I think we're like pretty much hitting the ceiling of the payroll, you know, uh, beyond any, you know, and beyond well, Mike Trout becoming how, available. How, how much do you think Rosenthal is going to be? I don't think it's going to be that different from what Brad Hand is going to wind up getting. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if what you're saying is right, it should be pretty different. Um, like with the difference uh, between Brad Hand and, and Rosenthal. I mean, maybe people, you should work people in uh, the MLB. <laughs> people keep dreaming on that hundred mile an hour fastball that Rosenthal has. Yeah, I mean, but, and it was it, it was great for us. I mean, it, it was, was great. It last was year. good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Right, so, I, I, honestly, I I don't really think there's too much value in talking about individual names at this point. Um, Are you, you know, worried about outfield depth at all? Uh yes, but. Because like, because one one thing we're doing is we're counting on we talked a little about it uh, in the beginning about how we had a sixty game season and it's possible that some of those early performances could have been tapering off right when the season ended. I mean we saw in the playoffs Hosmer Myers they they cooled down quite a bit especially Hosmer um, where maybe they got figured out we don't know the season ended 
Um, so I, I think a lot of us are counting on Will Myers to continue and build off of his 2020, which I hope he does. But we can't be really 100% confident that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, can we be confident that Fam will be healthy and that no. not only will be healthy, but will perform at the level that we remember him from two years ago? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a certainty. And I do wish that we had a better backup plan than sticking Jake Cronenworth in the outfield where he's never played before. I mean, I think that would actually be like more than fine to be frank. Like <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, not, not to Let's sound say, like Marver, what, what, but uh, what I could be an MLB it? outfielder and not be horrible defensively. Okay. Like it's really <laughs> not that bad, especially for someone like Cronenworth. I mean, he, First base is like exponentially harder than left field. And he was like a gold glover last year there, having not played it since like high school or whatever. Um, do you I mean, think, do you, th- how confident are you that, that Cronenworth would sustain a 125 WRC plus? Eh, because not he super. Also, he also, he had a super hot, like 45 days of the season, you know, where he was playing like first base when Hosmer was out and playing around the field, but like he did taper off as well. Definitely. I mean, he also, he started to come back a bit in the playoffs too. So it wasn't all bad at the end of the year. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think we should also say that, you know, from uh, everything I've like read about like how the industry, you know, like um, for example, I read this interview with like Farhan Zaidi, the, the Giants new GM. Um, and they're talking like, they're like slightly talked about like some of the Padres, like the, the Salon Darvish trade, you know, and, and Farhan's, you know, he brought up himself. He's like, you know, it's not like the focus for me isn't Snell and Darvish. It's the trades the previous year. And he, he named specifically Cronenworth and Grisham that because Preller got those two players that turned out to be, you know, really solid pieces that then, you know, he had the license to invest into the rotation and, and, you know, get rid of all the minor league depth that he did. Um, so I think honestly, the industry still likes Cronenworth a lot. Um, and so I think that that should give us more confidence too. True. Yeah. But I mean, but your, your point overall, notwithstanding all of that about the rotation uh, that the outfield depth is, I think, also like very fair i mean fam who knows about him right health wise myers again also who knows about him not not only health wise but like just everything (laughs) fam's not just health fam is performance as well he performed very poorly last year uh he got a bit unlucky outside of the playoffs outside of the playoffs when he played and and it could have been hindered by injury we're not sure but he to me it's not 100 percent that the only problem with him was health he's old he's uh at an age where you generally see decline um i i do worry about him some some for sure i mean this is this is the last year of his contract too so you know he has all the incentives in the world to to play really well um but and man you know, is he eager to get out of the california state tax so he will be <laughs> performing as well as he can yeah um so yeah yeah i mean the outfield is certainly a bit of a concern i mean the, i think the biggest problem is that grisham has had one good like solid year in the mlb and that was last year wow and, uh, and he's another one where you know we were taking a 60 game sample size and extrapolating it over a season and mm-hmm. when you do that you also generally think that alan cordoba is going to be a key part of the future <laughs> after a hot two months wow like, wow what a throwback to, well, there was Cordoba mania for a while based off of oh, his yeah. first two months on the team. And he basically turned into a non-rosterable player. Things can happen that are crazy over smaller samples. And the entire 2020 season was a small sample. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if I think the biggest fear for me is that if Grisham becomes, you know, 
slightly above replacement level. Um, you know, that that's really like not that un, like you know, the likelihood of that is like pretty high, frankly, like like probably what around 25 percent that he requests oh, that, regresses significantly. You mean, you mean that he doesn't turn into a five to six war player? Yeah, I think yeah. that's we, we hope for it. And he did certainly look good last year. I mean, but... he, he won a gold glove. He yeah, he had like surprising power. He has really good play discipline. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Grisham was great. And I think there's a lot of reasons to believe in, you know, him continuing and even improving on his production from last year. But uh, he's still super young, super inexperienced. These things happen all the time. You know, like you see it with established stars, like even Machado and and whatnot. So, yeah, outfield definitely needs a bit, a bit, you know, a bit of work put in, a bit of work put into some more resources for sure. I think I could say that I'm I'm uh, generally confident that two of the three will be good, mm-hmm. but I am worried about whichever of the three isn't good. Like to me, it's unlikely to all that all three are at a high level. Yeah, I mean, it, I, so I would I, say it's it's more likely than not that one of them, you know, is just unreliable entirely for next year, right? Right, so, and, and I'm which, not excited. And the next man up is Jorge, Mateo, Jorge Mateo. <laughs> Mateo or Jorge Onya. And I'm not yeah. excited for either of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's another example of, you know, it's it's where the rotation was before Darvish and Snow, where, you know, the, it's not like it was bad by any means. You know, there's certainly reasons to be excited in, in names that are good and, like, and, you know, have can give you hope. But, like, if, again, if we're, like, relying on, Myers continuing to like continuing last year and actually having like a good consistent year that he's like almost never had his entire career. Um, and also fam not being injured and you know, who, who else, who knows what else could go on with him. Um, you know, that that's not something you want to rely on you for like things to be good in the outfield. Those I mean, are things that do- you want to let happen. And because of like where you put yourself that, everything's still fine. Well, like, do, do we feel comfortable projecting Will Myers out to be like a 5.7 war player, which oh, is what he was not. on pace for while having the lowest walk percentage of his entire career. It's, it's like, I, I, I don't know. We've seen Will Myers be super hot for a month or two and everyone's like, he's figured it out. Look, he, he's changed his, uh, his, his, uh, his step when he, when he swings and it's totally changed everything. And like, we've done this so many times before and I'm not ready to just say like, well, he finally figured it out. It's totally different now. It's, it just in the spectrum of of possibilities, that seems like an unlikely possibility to me, but if Will Myers settles in as like a two to three war player, that's kind of what we've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. So. And he could certainly be that, but uh, yeah. I should remember when we were over at a roller brewing uh, where uh, you were interviewing Dostoevsky while I sat there and like got a couple words in, uh, and uh, Will Myers's self-proclaimed uncle came over and talked to us. Do, do you remember that? Yes, I of course. I you remember his like ugly ass Chihuahua? Yes, he was holding him like uh, I don't know if people have watched the movie Dirty Work, but he was he was holding him like uh, uh, whatever the uh, the villain's name is. He's he's also Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore who uh, also holds a chihuahua the entire time. And Norm MacDonald points out that he's likely fingering his rectum. Uh, it, it reminded me of that scene from, from Dirty Work. But yes, that was self-proclaimed Will Myers' uncle, who said that, 
about his own self-proclaimed nephew that he would never figure it out because he had a uh, millennials outlook on working hard. Right. Do I have that right? Yeah, I, I think that was pretty much it. Um, and, you know, at least what I think is like uh, Darren and Marty really talk about a lot is that how Will gets like bored, you know, especially with the grind of a full season that, yeah. you know, seeing him in right field that he gets barely any action. Uh, you know, he's probably thinking about like Fortnite and smoking weed, like right when he gets home from the game. So he's not engaged. And, you know, that's possibly one of the reasons why they kept moving him around positions to try to keep him interested and engaged. And it would also explain why he was so good last season, because it was a short season, super intense. You had to be engaged. It felt like, you know, for the playoffs the entire time. Um, So, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons that last year was a big fluke for will but i think you know there's also you know we know now that the team and like what was it it was probably d pushing onto will to be the face of the franchise was a huge mistake that's not his personality that's not that's not the kind of player he is i mean it's the player he could have been definitely not what he became uh and like it's just it's just not like the kind of the kind of guy that will myers is but now that we have Tatis, Machado, Darvish, Snell, Lamette, Gore, uh, you know, Will is like, you know, he's batting sixth or seventh in the lineup. Well, that might be where like he the, needs to be. The graphics the team's putting out don't have Will and don't have Hosmer on them because they yeah. don't need to put them on anymore. There's yeah. real stars to put on now. Remember when we had Austin Hedges on like the banner outside Petco Park? Yes, like yes, it was miserable. <laughs> The big three, the first wave. Oh my god! <laughs> the, wow. Yeah, the core four. You mean? Yeah. God. Um. Hey, last thing. What happens if the Dodgers sign Trevor Bauer and uh, trade for Lindor or something or Arenado? Are you worried at all? Uh but, well, like, sure. It, it yeah. is. To be fair, to be fair, it is inevitable that our competition sees we'll the better. Padres. <laughs> And decides to improve their team to make themselves more competitive, right? So, mm-hmm. I I think there's a lot of comparing us to the Dodgers' current roster, and and I am somewhat worried that we've kind of lit a fire under them to make their own. You know, they're losing Justin Turner, right? They're um, did they lose Justin Turner? Isn't he a free agent? Uh, no, I think he's. Oh, did... I think he is a free agent. Um. Yeah, he is a free agent. Yeah, I do, I I do worry. Trying to get him I back. do worry about what their response is going to be. Yeah. Like, well, Justin Turner's kind of old. Like, why don't we just trade for Arenado or yeah. you know move Seager to third and trade for Lindor? Like, I am a little worried about what their response is. But the Padres, in the end, can only imp- work on themselves. And I, I, you know, kind of in summation, like I think they've done what they needed to do. And, and especially in a playoff scenario, a short series uh, or whatever, whatever length series, really. They've built a roster that can compete in in that length of series. So, right. yeah. Um, well, I'm glad I'm glad you I, answered your own question. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. Like this, you 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 can't stop the Dodgers from doing what they're gonna do. If like these moves actually make the Dodgers like realize whatever their like current m- relatively more laid back plans for the offseason were were inadequate, and then they need to start putting you know they need a trade for Arenado or Lindor and sign Bauer, you know that's great. Then we, we screwed up their plans where they were already planning to, you know, obviously they're planning to repeat and go back to the world series and win it. 
And now they're worried about the division. And so they have to like, you know, shift more of their resources to the present value at expense of the future. That's fine. Like you said, we're going to be competitive in a three, five, seven game playoff series with them anyway. And that's the only thing you can ask for. It's a dice roll at that point. So you know what? Preller has to focus on what he did, what what, what he can do. He does that pretty well. Um, You know, and, and the Dodgers, they're the, like they are the competition in the NL right now, right? Isn't that obvious? Like, well, isn't and, Dodgers and, and Padres the best two teams in the NL? Is that is that disputed? Right. Yeah, the top two with the Braves on the. You could interchange the Braves. I'm not really sure how you know how to order them, but no matter what, it, it really doesn't matter. The division doesn't really matter to me because no matter what, you're going to have to go through the Dodgers at some point, whether it's at the division level or in the playoffs. Um, and to me, to me. The moves that they've made have, have put themselves in the position where they can maybe not get swept in the divisional series like last year. I, I, I think that they <laughs> they are in a position to actually win a series against the Dodgers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there's nothing more we really could ask for right now. I mean, that's I think that's beyond apparent. I mean, I this mean, is like beyond we, we, any we, of our wildest dreams. I mean, we could hope that Eric Hosmer doesn't ground out weekly with the bases loaded in a game that could turn the entire series but you but know then we could just put Cronenworth back at first base and have him become the best defensive first baseman yes, in the league yes that's the dream well you know the playoffs the the pitching was obviously a problem but like the hitting also kind of sucked against yeah. the Dodgers like that was a major problem and so I mean Tatis was slumping so hard and so as hard, Tatis yeah. goes the rest of the team does too so and so they did what they could, right? Yeah. You, you can't, you can't, you can't assume Tatis is going to be terrible next year in the playoffs. Like I think that everything we're doing is around the assumption that Tatis is going to be a star that carries the offense. So mm-hmm. under that assumption, the team has done everything they possibly could to be in position to win a world series. And that makes me happy. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is like beyond our wildest dreams. I know I'm repeating myself, but like, I mean, I never would have envisioned not sure. Like, I mean, we all expected Preller to make moves to shore up the rotation and improve the team. You know, we could even expect a big splash because that's, you know, that's Preller. Something like this, though, is really unprecedented. I mean, not only for Preller, but in the history of the league. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of talk now. I mean, you see how, I mean, Steve Cohen, the, the richest, the n- new owner of the Mets and now the richest owner in the MLB. Fun fact, he actually founded... Uh, the the hedge fund point seventy two previously SAC Capital who was the inspiration for billions if you have watched that show he is Axe in you know in the show um, he tweeted saying you know props to the Padres for doing this like I, I think frankly like depending how this all turns out you know this could honestly like the Padres and what Preller and Seidler are doing could become a bit of a formula for the rest of the league of actually investing in your team, actually trying to win, you know, not, not crying poor as a billionaire owner. Um, 
And strategically, it's better to be early with with an innovative strategy like they're using, because at some point there will be copycats around the league. And at that point, you'd hope that your team is innovative and flexible enough to now shift strategies to the new competitive advantage. And I have full confidence based off the last week and really off the last year or two that they have what it takes now at the leadership level, at the management level to quickly shift strategies to something more effective when the time is needed. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, but they're going to have to, too, right? Like if this is going to be sustained beyond 2023, like that's going to have to occur. And I'm not sure how much longer you have, but like one last thing we do have is, you know, the farm's taking a big of a hit, a bit of a hit. Uh, You know, we obviously it's like the, it was a huge victory that we kept, you know, not only some like major league players like Cronenworth, but Gore, Abrams, Campusano, Morahone. Like the only the only real prospect we give a shit about that Preller gave up was Patino. And I mean, that's also fine. Like Patino, Patino, I think uh, I meant to say this earlier, has a huge risk for like blowing out his elbow, given his you know body being pretty small, hit, like how fast he throws and how he's only actually been a pitcher for the last like three years. Um you know, like the, the, the farm, the top level of the farm is still there, but like, you know, the death has taken a hit. The Padres are probably only like around in like the top 10 of the farm systems now. And when we don't have the opportunity, like they did in 2016 to go and spend 60 to $80 million on the international pool uh, on the, on international free agents, you know, how can Preller actually replenish the farm then? Are, are you worried about that? Well, I mean, you talked about the 2020 draft, which was obviously a very limited, and we really have no idea what the future draft is going to look like also. But yeah. um, I mean, I, I think he, he showed a lot of flexibility, creativity in what he did in 2020. And I think that's that's good. Um, I, I have confidence in the draft side of the house, and I'm sure that on the international side, to be clear, we can never have a mega class like we did in 2016 again because of the rule changes uh, spearheaded by Ron Fowler to eliminate and create, to eliminate the old system and create one that's heavily capped. So um, the distribution of those top level, you know, especially like Cuban type talent is, is going to be spread out across the league rather than being able to be concentrated in one mega class. But I, I do have confidence that we have people in place and management levels that can keep building, you know, at a, at a, sustainable pace i guess through the draft and through the international market um yeah i mean so i want to touch on like i uh even so yeah like the international rules change so we can't so the the padres or any team can't like blow their budget and spend effectively as much as they want um but i i don't think that that was going to be like a strategy that would actually reap the same rewards going forward it had the rules not changed um you know, like how, how long is the punish or how long was the punishment period? It was three years, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there were more than three big teams or three teams that were going big in the international market. The Padres got really lucky that like 2016, the, the Red Sox and Dodgers just blew their load before and other teams, other big market teams hadn't wisened up to, you know, how, how critical and how important this kind of, you know, talent acquisition could be. But, you know, yeah, so there, there's going to be more than three teams going forward. And the only reason that strategy works so well is because there were no other teams going and bidding for all the top players. It was only the Padres, and they could get every single one that they wanted. 
So that, that wouldn't be the case anymore now. So I still think well, the Padres have a I'll huge advantage say, internationally, even under the current rules. Yeah, I agree with you uh, based off of Preller's scouting skills and the organization he's created, but I'm also not quite as enchanted with the international market as a core building strategy as, as some other people. I, I think the the dividends have been limited, really, mm-hmm. overall. I mean, 2016, uh, we're not really seeing that many dividends off of that major investment. Yeah. Um, I mean, yet we have Morahone, who who is a question mark and may turn out to be something. But I mean, he's kind of leading the pack in what we obtained that year. The rest have kind of been busts, gone, um, not as good as we thought they would be. I mean, Jorge Onya made the major league team last year, but he's certainly not what we imagined when they with the excitement of when they signed him. And yeah, I mean, the, when the you next go back to players, probably like and, Gabriel well, Arias, who was like you know traded for the Indians and by all accounts looked, looked horrible in instructs. Right. So, and, and even when you go back to Preller's Texas days, like there's really not any huge victories there. I mean, yeah, it, it's Rudnick Odor. That was his big, it, it's big Odor, victory. It's Odor, it's Bezerra, it's, um, there's guys. Uh, Profar? Around, <laughs> yeah, Profar. I mean, there's guys in Martin Perez, but the amount of resources that they devoted into it for so long, like there are very limited um, returns. In my opinion, the real returns and the real problem with the Padres during the dark ages was the draft and and turning those players into impact major leaguers. And I do think that the drafts that we've seen from A.J. Preller have been more impactful at the major league level than we saw before. And to me, the real key is sustaining the draft uh, quality that they had. And and really, I don't have any doubt that that can continue. I well, mean, but but the kept, thing is, he's like, kept he's amazingly kept the, his lieutenants in place. They haven't been hired away, which has been incredible. For now, I mean, I think we're, we we got to expect you know Logan White um, or Chris Kemp and uh, Chris Kemp. At, at some point, they're going to get a GM job, especially if you know the Padres win a championship, right? But, but they haven't. But they haven't yet, and we're capitalizing on that time. I think that's important. Definitely. And, but the thing is, I, I was going to say, like, I mean, the, the, it's different with the draft now, though, right? Because the Padres are or hopefully going to be picking consistently at the end of it. Right. It's effectively like a comp pick they're getting for their first round pick nowadays, you know, the Preller getting CJ Abrams at number six and who like probably was the best pick of the draft so far. Like I, who was number one that year? Like, um, I don't even uh, know, uh, but I mean, you're the like, high that, that's not going to happen anymore. Are, the high draft picks are, are supposed to be slam dunks like Mackenzie Gore there was no choice other than to take Mackenzie Gore there, right? Abram slipped as from a possible one or two down to wherever the Padres drafted him at like six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't really much question in taking them. Like those were the slam dunk choices. But I think that Preller has shown skills at drafting in the 20 to 30 range where he has picked up maybe not stars, but players that have made the major leagues or that have become top prospects. Guys like Camposano, guys like, uh, you know, Hudson Potts became a, a – a, a usable prospect that was able to be moved mm-hmm. for other pieces, right? Oh, Owen Casey. Uh, I mean, for any issues we have with Eric Lowry, he made the major leagues and and was a useful tool at the major league level as well yeah. as as a, as a trade chip. Like that's more than Xavier Edwards to, was a thirty eighth overall pick. Right. These are all spots where we used to blow them on guys that that never sniffed the major leagues and never sniffed prospect lists where they could be useful as trade pieces even. So. You know, I, I've got pretty good confidence that we can sus- continue and sustain that into the future. And so I, hopefully 
that, that that's really why I have no issue just trading prospects right now. Yeah. These are this is the currency. We, we might be tapped out at the dollar level, but we're not tapped out at the prospect level in ways that can improve this team and build mm-hmm. a, a World Series winner. Well, and I think also, I mean, the the fact that it wasn't the top end guys that were given away because you know the the top end guys are exponentially harder to acquire than the middling people which like are all like the players that Preller actually gave away right you know we can replace Owen Casey and Blake Hunt and uh you know uh Ismail well, Mena and other who, than, whoever else other than, well and other than Abrams the the top level pieces are pieces that are ready to contribute at the major league level for a world series team yeah I mean, Honestly, and then, and the then right, also the right, Robert Hassel the right trade, if the right trade got offered for Hassel or for Abrams that that would cement this team as a world series champion i wouldn't have many issues with that trade that's that one's a bit harder for me abrams is harder but but abrams isn't going to play a part in the next world series team in my opinion huh i guess hopefully in some sense he's not but i mean the things i mean abrams could be up you know he could be the starting second baseman in 2022 um i mean he's uh, he's a top yeah. 10 prospect in the game. I mean, he's hitting like a superstar. Like imagine what you could get for him. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, and, and the thing is too, uh, like, it's not like we're just saying, Oh yeah, give him away. And like, Oh yeah. Are we willing to give him up? Like if Preller is going to give him up, it's like, it would be for Lindor or you know a Lindor type of player with control. Right. Like, that's exactly. the only way he gets given up in which Look case it's Patino. like, yeah. Patino got us a Cy Young yeah. winner. Yeah. And- so true. I mean, I mean, a- Abrams like would be like Abrams and like Hassel, like would be like probably the two big names enough to like get Trout if the Angels were gonna like have to dump him for some reason, right? Like, right. I mean, you you have to put more pieces in, but like you know, you you add those like those two names at the top, and it's like yeah, like I mean, that's a package. Like, basically, only two or three other teams could even hope to give up. Um, and without decimating their entire system. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's important. It's like, it's a lot, it's harder for me to give up on like some of the prospects I really like, of course, than you, but you know, I have full faith in Preller that whoever he does give up, it's going to be well worth it because I mean, it's already been worth it by far. Yeah. Agreed. Wow. Well, you know what? We're we're riding up on two hours now. Two glorious hours of Padres Quintelligence talk without Marver. How how do you think it's been? I think it's been glorious. I mean, obviously the subject matter's been glorious, but yes. yeah, we we haven't had to deal with any kind of crypto libertarian opinions. We haven't had to discuss masks. No farts. We haven't had to. Gavin Newsom hasn't been brought up. Yeah, no <laughs> farts. It's been fine. This has been great. We gave if, Marver if only the Corey opportunity. Corey wasn't ghosting us too. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> uh, Corey. Corey has issues with like three person podcasts because they're always awkward. Um, he likes to be the if center Marver, of attention. If Marver yeah. were here, Chad, you would be left out most likely. Right. So I, I think the, the format has been good. Maybe <laughs> I'm we used do to this it. again. Uh, you know, we did give out a link and Marver chose not to join. Mm-hmm. I think I said, Marver, you're of course welcome to join. Ghost did again. So well, I mean, Mar- Marver was the first one that messaged the group chat this morning. In fact, of course. Yeah. And, uh, and then all- that's it. We don't need it. It's yeah, fine. we don't. We'll keep doing this. But hey, this, well, this hey, is a great well, talk. Hey, Chad, we've said it all. <laughs> we we really have. You know what what a, what a year it's been. You know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Twenty twenty one is going to be quite the year for the Padres. You know, I'm really excited because you know, I'm I'm graduating in May, 
know, I'm going to start working uh, in September. So, you know, the summer of 2021 is really going to be the, uh, the golden age for Chad. So, you know, watch out guys. I'm, I'm coming for your ass. Wow. Thanks. Thanks, Zach, man. That's uh, cool. <laughs> let's, let's close it out there, Chad. I got to go eat dinner. This is, it's been fun. Yeah. I mean, it was great. Uh, what, what, what a time to be alive. Go Padres. Go Padres.